0: Mark 4, 26 through 34. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows, how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it and he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. In Luke 17, 20 through 21. Jesus, grilled by the Pharisees on when the kingdom of God would come, answered, the kingdom of God doesn't come by counting the days on the calendar, nor when someone says, look here, or there it is. And why? Because God's kingdom is already among you.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning. We'll take them all, we'll pray together, and then we'll look at this scripture that uh, God has for us. Father, we'd like to thank you that we have the privilege of gathering within these walls to listen for your voice this morning. We're mindful that we live in a world torn and poisoned by darkness and sin. And you've invited us into an entirely different paradigm to be people of hope in the midst of that. Not withdrawing and waiting for the end to come, but rather embodying a new future now before it comes in fullness. So would you speak to us of these things this morning? But my prayer is not only that you'd speak to our minds, but that you would shape our hearts to respond in order that more fully we might be characterized as people belonging to your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen if you, uh, how many have been to England in here, raise your hand if you've been to England it's amazing how many people have been to England, that's a lot of people actually if you if you go to England from here, you gonna know, fly British Airways late in the afternoon and you, and you fly and you sleep a little bit or you watch movies or whatever you are having to do and, and then you wake up uh, and you land in a, different, in a different country entirely and it's very different than here in some ways very similar but in some profound ways, very different, because as soon as you arrive, you have to get a different currency, and with that different currency, you really need to rethink your purchases, because if you don't, everything looks cheap in England, but it's actually very expensive, right? And if you don't understand that, and you don't rethink your currency, then you get a visa bill later, and you're very sad. <laughs> what? A pizza's $30? Who knew? <laughs> you should have paid attention, right? And... and Uh, Then you also need to remember when you're standing at a uh, crosswalk to look to the right. No one does that in our country, right? So it's completely different. And if you don't look to the right, it could kill you. So it's a pretty important thing that you look in the proper direction. And then it's also very important to remember never to drive when you're over there, ever, (laughs) under any circumstance. Because otherwise what could happen right? Hypothetically, you could rent a car because you want to go up to Scotland from, nor- uh, from northern England and you drive all day, very intent, left side of the road, you know, the roundabout clockwise instead of counterclockwise. Every- I mean, you're doing everything properly all day long. But then it could happen that on your way home at midnight, you get lost and you can't find your castle. So you stop into a quickie mart to ask for directions and you're discouraged because they're closed and then you get back on the road and just for about a hundred meters or so you driving on the right side of the road which is the wrong side of the road <laughs> and it wouldn't be a big deal except you're going up a hill and you don't know that there's somebody coming the other direction and at the very top boom head-on collision it could happen to you it did happen to me right wrong side of the road crazy because I'm in a different place and I forgot that I was in a different place so here's the point when you're in a different kingdom there are different ethics, there are different priorities, there are different ways of living. And this is what's behind what Jesus says in Matthew 4.17, the first public words out of his mouth, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the word at hand is a great word here because it makes it different than the kingdoms of this world. In the kingdoms of this world, there are very clear boundaries. And when you go, you know, from here to Canada, you cross through a border thing, and now as soon as you're on the other side, your old currency is no good. You're in an entirely different place. It's not miles anymore. It's uh, meters and, and kilograms and uh, kilometers and all that stuff, right? And it's not pounds, it's, it's, it's different. Same thing in England, different side of the road. It, like there's this sudden thing. You leave Rwanda, you're driving on the right-hand side of the road. They lift the border thing. You're in Uganda, you're driving on the left-hand side of the road. Just like that. There's no, there's no transition zone, so to speak. But here's Jesus, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, what he's saying is the kingdom of God has begun, but it's not fully here yet. In other words, this is not yet fully the reign of God. We know that intuitively, but it is the reign of God, and that's what's significant. There are hints of God's reign, so it's more like the kingdom of God in the moment is more like the word picture I'll use here for for the sake of illustration, the kingdom of God is like November in the mountains. Because then, you know, the, the, the ski herald arrives, you know, John the Baptist, and he says, you know, winter is at hand. Winter's at hand. And what he means by that is, okay, it's November and there are signs of winter. It snows and it doesn't snow again. And then it gets warm and then it gets cold again. And, and, but there's, a, there's, there's something in the air and there's something on the ground and you know it. Winter's, it will fully be here soon And there are signs now of what will one day come in fullness. And that's what it means, this phrase, at hand. There are hints of the reign of Christ, right? And then in Matthew 4.17, that same passage, not only is the kingdom at hand, but we're told there to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repent is a very interesting word because it's... uh, misrepresented, I would say, often as, oh, repent. You know what that means? That means you got to feel bad about your life because God's mad at you because of some stuff you're doing, you got to stop doing that stuff. That's typically a paradigm of repentance, right? Stop it. You're messing up. Well, okay, in this case, uh, uh, and actually in every case, repent doesn't mean that. It, like, The word in the Greek language is metanoia, and it means it's less about feeling bad regarding something here, though that's included in it. But the much more of repentance is this, I need to turn towards something over here. In other repenting, metanoia means a change of mind, but what it really means is a turning. I'm, so I'm turning from the kingdom of this world. I'm turning from the kingdom of this world, and I'm turning toward now the kingdom of God. And I will live here, and I will align my values according to here. It's a new country. I've crossed the border already, and so now, in 2016, my intent is to live as a citizen, not of the kingdom of Babylon, but the kingdom of this world. That, that's repent. I'm turning away from something, but not to turn away, but predominantly because I'm turning toward something, and I can't turn toward it unless I turn away, but the focus is on turning toward. Repent. Turn toward the kingdom of God, right? And, 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 and so this is the word picture here. We're being invited and even commanded to live in an entirely different kingdom. Why? Because this kingdom has already begun. It was inaugurated in the resurrection of Christ. The reign of Christ as King. And so even though everything around us still tells us we're in the old kingdom, the kingdom that over-promises and underdelivers, the kingdom that gives evidence of its sway by, by addiction and loneliness and isolation and, and anxiety and fear and body image. And this morning, 37 dead migrants in the ocean and human trafficking and oppression and homelessness and disease, even though it's all there, even now it's still there, we're told this, a different kingdom has already begun. Align your life to that kingdom, right? So as we live, when we leave here this morning, I wish I had t-shirts to give all of you that would say, I am from the future. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because it, look, there's a, there's a kingdom coming that is not about what we see every day, it's not just coming, it's here now, and God's intent is, it would, is that that kingdom, that reign, would be embodied in your, not only in your life, but in your, in your marriage, in your family, in your relationship with your neighbors, in our life together as a community, in the way that we serve our world, our priority, our highest priority. Seek first, says Jesus Matthew 6, the kingdom of God. That's our calling. So, um, To do that, Jesus says there's three responses related to kingdom. We need to understand the kingdom. We need to see the kingdom. We need to seek the kingdom. We're going to let all three of those for a few minutes this morning, Understand the kingdom, seeing the kingdom, seeking the kingdom, because our desire is to be, as a community, kingdom-oriented. So what does that mean? Well, it starts with understanding the kingdom. So we need a definition of the kingdom and at a level Providing a definition is easy because here's the kingdom. Wherever God's will is being done, that the kingdom of God is there already. Wherever God's will is being done, it's already the kingdom of God. So you know, in Luke 3, John the Baptist shows up. He says, hey, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then um, uh, when people come to be baptized, he says, look, you can't just be baptized. You, have to, you need to live differently. You need to repent. Repent means you need to move from this to this. And so then people say, "Well, what does that mean? What does that look like?" And and John the Baptist says, "Hey, the kingdom predominantly in Luke three. He says the kingdom is about generosity. So if you have two coats, give one away. It's pretty simple. Anybody have two coats? (laughs) Ten maybe? Uh, Look, if you have extra, if you have extra resources, share them with those who don't have resources. It's the kingdom." Allow God's will to be done through you, (laughs) and it'll bless other people along the way. So, both the Old and New Testament offer words that kind of flesh out a more complete understanding of what the world would look like when the kingdom happens. And, And and you know, when a slave is freed, kingdom. When a war ends, whether it's a war between nations or between spouses, it's the kingdom when there's justice, forgiveness, reconciliation, overcoming shame, hospitality shown to refugees, loving your neighbors, loving your enemies, laying down your weapons, healing, empowering, all of those things, kingdom of God. And in short, <clears throat> there's this greater sense, when the, when the kingdom shows up, there's a greater sense that this is the, this is the life for which we are created, right? Right? And there's a word for that in the Old Testament, shalom, and a word for that in the New Testament, teleos. Shalom, teleos, they both, like when God's reigning, it's shalom, it's teleos. And so I want to talk particularly about the word shalom because it kind of gives you a, 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 an illustration here of what we're, what we're saying. Uh, the word shalom, I mean, if I asked for a translation, many of the room would say, oh, shalom, it's peace. But that's, you know, woefully inadequate to understand shalom, because here's the deal. Peace is, is um, unless, it's, unless it's fleshed out, it's, ne- it's negative. In other words, peace, ah, you know what? Oh, good. They're not fighting. What a win that is. And can I just say to you, and if you're married, you know this, not always, <laughs> Right? Like to, to, to say the absence of conflict is God's highest good would be utterly to miss the point. It's not just the absence of conflict. Shalom is embodied in, in this sense of uh, when, I'm, when I experience shalom, then there's a moment in my life when everything is perfect. That's shalom. Shalom is wholeness. And it, and, it ha- and it happens in all of our lives at moments, right? It can happen in uh, serving in a, sh- in, a, in a community meal here. It can happen in serving in a homeless shelter. It can, it can happen in crossing a social divide. It can happen in participating in uh, a mission trip, as we saw in a video. It can happen in acts of reconciliation, acts of justice. But it can also happen in little, you know, uh, common ways. Throwing a party for my neighbors, and we can and we can be sitting around a table and enjoying conversation and good food and laughter and, and and there's a moment right there with all of our neighbors and we go this is shalom right now. Paris happened on on the same night that we threw a neighborhood party. And and so uh, the party was at six, <laughs> and people are gathered, mindful of what has just gone down uh, the night before. And we had the news on when all of our friends arrived because we just wanted to see what had happened. And one of my neighbors just said, we need to stop right now and pray for Paris. Now, these are my neighbors. They're not you know, church-going people. We need to stop and pray. And so here we are in, in, my, you know, in my living room, Iranian immigrant, Atheist, guy who's been burned by the Catholic Church, and another neighbor. Would you take a moment? Would you take a moment? God of peace, would you pour your peace out on broken people in Paris right now? Do you understand? That's shalom, that's a a mustard seed. That's what was read here, the scripture. The kingdom is a mustard seed, it's little. Not a big, I mean, peace didn't break out. But in that moment, that's shalom. When I'm, when I'm in a, a, a mountain lookout with uh, students in our wilderness program years ago, one from Germany, one from Austria, one from New Zealand, one from Mississippi, the f- most foreign of all. <laughs> you know, and, and, and we're watching the sunset over the Pacific Ocean and you know, Vancouver Island, and Mount Baker's right behind us turning pink, and it's a moment of perfection. It's perfection. We're healthy. Our stomachs are full. We're not cold. There's no bugs. We're from all over the world, and someone just says, we didn't pray, and right. so then here's a prayer of praise in German. Here's another one in German. Here's another one in, you know, a profound southern accent. Here's another prayer, and, and, and here are people you know, gathered around from all of the world, and in this moment, we're praising God, and we're like this, could this moment please never end? That's shalom. And when there are moments in your life that you wish would never end, moments of perfection, that's your experience of shalom. The reign of God is happening in that moment, and it's creating you a longing for that which will someday come in permanence, but in the moment, it doesn't stay. It comes, it goes, it comes, it goes, the kingdom of God, if I were teaching a parable today, I would say this, the kingdom of God is Snapchat, right? It's here, it's gone. It's here, it's gone. It's here, it's gone. And we say, oh, I wish this world could never end, but here's the thing, it does end. And yet, that's the reality. Why? Because Hebrews 2.8, uh, we don't yet see everything subject to him. So there's a moment of Christ's perfect reign, and then we turn the news on. Oh, that's right. Another 37 dead in the ocean this morning. Well, there's a moment of beauty with friends, yesterday me, skiing with my neighbors, and then I'm here last night where I stay in the city, and, you know, there's police helicopters right over my head, and sirens and lights going on and whatever's going on, I know this is not the kingdom of God because I'm not laying in bed going, I wish this moment would never end. <laughs> this is far from perfection. There's brokenness in the world and brokenness breaks through Paris, Mumbai, Ebola, nerve gas, sexual slavery in Seattle, refugees drowning because our, the soil of our world is poisoned by sin. And then beyond that, there are distractions to keep us from noticing just how bad things are. But in the midst of all of that, God's intent is that we would say by our very actions and lives, I'm from the future. I'm here to bring you good news that the world will not always be that way. So it becomes obvious why the kingdom is called the gospel of the kingdom because the word gospel means good news. One author says it this way, in a postmodern world devoid of any framing narrative that can make sense of the world, the Christian story offers a narrative of hope. This is the story in which we find ourselves when we believe the story, the gospel, and we enter into it, we become participants in the story. We're not just bystanders, you're not spectators this morning, you're participants. The story has a definite end in view, articulated by our God. It's a story with an end, and appointed end. The apostle Peter speaks of this end as the restoration of all things. Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 10 and 11, the end of the story... Everything in the cosmos shot through with the glory of God. That's where history's headed. Wow, that's good news, right? And so the kingdom is about what God is doing, what God is for. God is for orphans finding a home. God is for economic development zones in Rwanda and churches working together. God is for... Uh, coming out from the rain into a homeless shelter. God is for building relationships at a community meal. God is for sharing medical skills at a medical clinic. God, God is for restoration. God is for relationship. God is for celebration. God is for hospitality. And as I shared last week, when we're united around what God is for, God's kingdom reign and making it visible even in small ways, then we're united. <laughs> but, but when we lose sight of the kingdom, we divide. This guy in El Paso, about whom I shared last week, he said, you know, before these refugees showed up in El Paso Paso from the Honduras, I I thought I was certain that I wanted a wall. And I don't know now whether I want a wall or not. Maybe I want a wall, maybe I don't. But here's the one thing I know. I'm standing here, and I'm looking at a woman with her three children. They don't know English. They're hungry. They're tired. They're thirsty. They're afraid. I know English. I know Spanish. I have food. I have shelter. I have means. I can help them get to where they need to go. I can embody the reign of Christ right now. So I don't know the political solution, but I know this, I can bring hope to you. That's the kingdom of God. It's very important. When I encountered a sex trafficking ring at a shady motel in Bangkok, it changed my life. Never again, Am I going to elevate the age of the earth is the big thing? Or, you know, can we lose our salvation here? Or is God, you know, how sovereign is God? And, you know, how many flowers in a tulip? Who cares? Because the one thing I know is this. I have the means to be a person of hope in the world through the investment of my time, my research, relationships. I can say by the way I live, the kingdom of God is here. I'm done arguing, infighting. Because what God is ultimately about is pretty simple, Micah 6.8. He's shown you, he's shown you what's good and what the Lord requires of you. And it's pretty simple, three things. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. He's shown you what the Lord requires. A doctrinal statement that you can defend to the minutiae No. Uh, You know, a a large battery of spiritual disciplines. Look, we make it hard, not God. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk with God. I speak on Micah 6.8 a lot because I wrote a whole book about that one verse. Colors of Hope. And because I speak about it a lot, people often tell me, They've never heard this message. One guy said to me, like, I'm in my 30s, he said, grew up in the church, and my whole life I heard what God is against. The gospel, the good news, is framed this way. Look, God is against, and the the list is long if you're in a conservative church. It's short if you're in a liberal church, but here's the point. God's against stuff, right? And so so here's the gospel message. Stop it, because God's mad at you hey, can I just lovingly say, that utterly misses the point. Yeah, there's stuff we're doing that destroys us. But if the megaphone is about what God is against, it's not the kingdom and it's certainly not gospel, in other words, good news. So he says to me, this is the first time I've ever heard the gospel articulated in terms of what God is for. And here's the good news, friends, this morning. Ultimately, God is for hope. God is for reconciliation, God is for ending shame, God is for reconciling uh, relationships, God's for ending war, God is for, God is for justice, God is for mercy, God is, God is for forgiveness and restoration and overcoming body images and, and, and healing marriages and getting people off the streets and making people healthy. God is for hope. It's that simple. <laughs> That's the kingdom. And so the news of the gospel is this, the kingdom of God, it, look, don't withdraw into a cave and wait for it. It's here now. Really? Where? In you, when you let Christ reign. So get on with it, right? My whole life, the gospel is framed as what God is against, and this is what he says to me, no more. I'm going to go back into my neighborhood now and be a person who embodies the hope that there's a different world. It's here now, and it's coming in fullness. That's what we want to be at Bethany, friends a community that by our life together embodies the reality that the reign of God has begun. We want to be people of hope. That's the kingdom. And so, right, we need to understand the kingdom, definition. We need to see the kingdom. We need illustrations. Well, if that's the kingdom, what does it actually look like in practice? And, and uh, you know, in the Bible, there are passages about the kingdom, and they're, they're scattered throughout the Bible, but, it, like, if you want a concentrated version of the kingdom. Like if you want a reduction sauce of the kingdom, you want to go to Isaiah, right? Because Isaiah is the best articulation of the kingdom in the sense that scattered throughout the book of Isaiah, there are are these snapshots of what the kingdom looks like. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, for example. When the kingdom of God shows up in fullness, every nation will join hands... Every tribe will join hands, and they will say, Isaiah 2, come, let's ascend the Mount of the Lord, so critical, let's ascend the Mount of the Lord together, that the Lord will teach us his ways. We'll be reconciled, there will be justice, there will be forgiveness, there will be restoration, we will melt our weapons down into tools of agriculture. All war, done. That's the kingdom of God, friends. No more war. (laughs) Isaiah 2. What else is the kingdom of God? Well, you know, Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9. You've heard this. The lion will lie down with a lamb. You know it? So This is some kind of environmental restoration and the end of kind of predator-prey relationships. And it's open to, you know, widely divergent interpretations, but what we know is that the world then becomes a safe place, and not just a safe place, but a safe place for all creatures. That's, and that's Beautiful. no longer worrying about whether there's lead in my water if I'm a honeybee no longer worrying about whether there's a flower for me because pesticides are making it impossible for me to pollinate no longer everything's changed, everything environmental restoration there's justice, Isaiah 65, 21 and 22 where, where Isaiah says, "Look, no longer will one plant and another eat." Does that ever happen? One plants, another eats. Absolutely. You know, working for the people means working not for you, or uh, working hard in a in a free market society, but not making a living wage. So you're not enjoying the fruits of your labor. Either way, capitalism, communism, socialism, gone. No longer will one plant, another eat. No longer will one build a house, another occupy. But from, from that day forward, when, when Christ reigns, look, if one, if one plants, one eats. If one builds, one occupies. Justice. Slavery, done. The, the bro- all the brokenhearted bound up, loneliness and isolation, fear, and then, you know, the most beautiful passage, Isaiah 25, I'll just read real quickly for you, one particular passage, Uh, speaking of this great banquet, because the kingdom of God is a massive um, um, emphasis on, in a sense, celebration. The 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 Lord will prepare for us a lavish banquet for all the people on this mountain, people are sitting on the mountain, banquet of aged wine, aged wine, more than a year old, more than $1.99 a bottle, somehow. <laughs> Choice pieces with marrow, and and uh, so good meat, refined aged wine. On his mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all the people, the covering. That this, this dark pollution that bends our hearts towards sin. The veil, which is stretched over the nations. He'll swallow up death for all time wipe tears away from every face, remove the reproach of the people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And we said in that day, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we've waited. Let us rejoice and be glad. And this beautiful picture will be around a table somehow poetically or literally, we don't know. We'll be eating together. And this moment, watch this, will be so perfect that we will say, This is the moment of which all those other moments spoke of. Does that make sense? That that beautiful moment at the fire lookout with people from all over the world praying, that beautiful moment with my my wife, that beautiful moment of hospitality now with my my daughter, my son-in-law, my brand-new granddaughter, hugging her, watching her laugh. These moments you go, could they never end, please? And And then, right, Snapchat, Gone. The perfect baby. Something's crying. And then you're like this. Could this moment please end quickly? And then war breaks out. And then you turn the TV on, there's news. And the and the, and the and the hope of the kingdom is a vapor. And then and then the day comes, and it comes. When we're around this table together, and it's perfect, and we know this. From this day on, it never ends. And we say, this is what our heart was longing for forever. (laughs) Bless the Lord. This is the kingdom of God. We see it in church examples. My friend Scott, who runs, uh, uh, leads Bethany North, they do community breakfast on Aurora, offering food and friendship to folks overcoming meth addiction, and in December, uh, 200 new coats, 100 new scarves, 40 walk- handmade walking sticks made available. And this is the sense in which the king's like a mustard seed, you're like this, yeah. What's one coat anyway? What? Are you kidding me? Buy a new coat and donate it? How does that solve Paris or gun violence? or oil spills. Well, here's what happens. You buy a coat, you donate it. And a woman shows up uh, for the CBA, the community breakfast in January. And another woman says to the one who shows up, I love you, your coat. And she then says, yeah, this coat, I got it here in December. And then she says, first new coat since I was a child. (laughs) And then she says, in the moment that's the kingdom, don't I look beautiful right now? Do you love that? Don't I look beautiful? (laughs) Yes, you do. I can't solve Paris. But John the Baptist didn't ask you to solve Paris. (laughs) He said, hey, if you have two coats, give one away. And in so doing, Uh, in a mustard seed fashion, you you set in motion the reign of God and and you give people longings for that which will one day come in in completion. The reign of Christ. The beauty, hope, restoration, forgiveness, and healing that is the reign of Christ. Lots of ways the kingdom is breaking into the world. As we work together as a church, Costa Rica, Rwanda, homeless shelter, community meal, Medical Clinic, Aurora Commons Partnership, lots of ways. Lots of ways to get involved. A- and uh, beyond programs, all of us have the opportunity to embody invi- individually the kingdom. My friend Nora was in the original Iraq War back in the early 90s. And uh, so the, the Republican Guard, or whatever they're called, had, they had surrendered in mass because they were hungry. And some soldiers ended up in a Military, a US military hospital, my friend Nora is a, is a nurse and she's walking from bed to bed reading charts and she's got a cross, you know, hanging on her, around her neck and one of the soldiers sees this cross, grabs the cross, yanks on it, pulls her face right up to his and says, Jesus, just like that, profound. She steps back, afraid, <laughs> points to the cross and says, Jesus, nodding her head. He says, "Jesus," and he points to his own heart. She says, "Jesus," and she points to her heart. And then he does—he doesn't say anything. This is what he does. And he holds out his hands. I mean, do you understand? I do. She takes his hands, and they and they pray together. She prays for him in a language he doesn't understand. But in the moment, do you understand? Click, that's it, snapshot of the kingdom. It's right there. We're not enemies. We're, We're fellow citizens of Christ's reign. And we love each other. This is the kingdom of God. Little moments of shalom. So what do we do with this? Well, our calling is to seek the kingdom. In other words, we need to realign our lives according to the kingdom. And why? Because in Luke 17, Jesus says that the kingdom is actually already here. Wherever God's will is made visible, then the reign of Christ is seen. We pray this, don't we? May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yet, when we pray it often, what we've been taught is by praying, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, we're praying for the return of Christ. And I'm here to tell you that when Jesus teaches us to pray and he says, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, he's not saying to you, hey, wait for my return because that'll make everything right. Though that's true. What he's saying is when you pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, give a coat away. Throw a party, forgive someone. Because you're not called to live this disembodied eschatology, uh, you know, things regarding the end of time, whereby you're just waiting for Jesus to come in and do all the work. Oh, no, you are the presence of Christ, as we've already seen in this series. You are the presence of the resurrected Jesus, and the reign of Christ has begun now. And so Jesus is telling us the kingdom is here. It's here now, even though we don't yet see everything under the reign of Christ. We see Christ, and we embody Christ. Christ is not lord elect. Christ is Lord. And so Jesus' first words, Matthew 4, 17, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, means this, embody now in the present the future hope. You are from the future. (laughs) As a baptized believer, this is my confession. Confession. I'm from the future. I've seen and tasted the powers of the age to come. I'm from the future. I've seen where history is headed. I've seen that the future belongs to Christ, and so I have escaped the matrix of Babylon's dominant paradigm of power, lust, greed, shame, fear. I'm living in a new reality, faith, hope, and love. I'm from the future. Do you see the future? It's a future of peace and nonviolence. And so if it is a future of peace and nonviolence, be about peace and nonviolence. If it's a future of forgiving, forgive. If it's a future of imparting hope, impart hope. If it's a future of, of, of breaking down dividing walls, and it is, then break down dividing walls. If it's a future of putting an end to bitterness, then put an end to bitterness in your own heart. If it's a future of generosity, then be done with greed. If it's a future of courage, then be done with fear. If, if it's a future of, of, of love, then be done with self-loathing and self-pity and shame and pride. Be done. Be done with this kingdom, and be in this kingdom. If it's a future where life in the womb matters, then protect life in the womb. Where life of the elderly matter, then protect life of the elderly. Where life of immigrants matter, then protect the life of immigrants, and the lives of oppressed, and the lives of the homeless, and the abused, and the marginalized. All these matter to, to God. Do they matter to you? They should. It's your kingdom. This is the meaning of Matthew 6 in a world preoccupied with gaining over here what God wants to freely give, food, clothing, shelter. We're anxious, and afraid, and addicted, and overweight, and we don't sleep enough, and God wants to fix that. Not through a self-improvement program, but by turning away from that paradigm entirely and saying, do you know what? This is what I want to be about. God's reign. Hope, mercy, justice, reconciliation, forgiveness, generosity, healing, peace. I'm in. I'm in. Seek first the kingdom of God. God will take care of you in every way. In other words, if there's a new king, new kingdom... Then turn your focus away from daily provision and begin focusing instead on the role God has for you in this story of hope. Because here's the deal. If you've driven on the right side of uh, of the road your whole life, I'm here to tell you it's time to change. And changing requires, Romans 12, a renewing of your mind. So you see now that you are in a new kingdom of hope and there in that kingdom, God is asking you to serve him Seek first the kingdom of God. He'll take care of everything. Here's how we respond this morning. You've received a passport coming in with Alex's story on it. The bottom of the passport is intended to be your story. Alex tells us what transformation God's doing in his life. Would you please write on your own passport, what transformation is God doing in your life right now? Is God moving you? from generosity to greed, from shame to hope, from loneliness to community? What's what's God doing? Second, what's your vision for transformation in your community? What, What burden has God laid on your heart? Homelessness, human trafficking, hospitality with your neighbors, reconciling relationship, name it. How will you participate in bringing the reign of God to your context? Name it. The kingdom of God is not an idea. It's here, but it's only visible. It's only visible when we make it visible. And we make it visible by responding. And so we'll have a couple songs. And I don't normally say this, but especially during the first song, you can listen while you respond. And then join in singing once you respond. And then don't let the day end without sharing what you've written with someone you love. Jesus, meet us now as we respond. Our desire as a community is to be known as people of hope. Because of the good news that the kingdom of God is here now, may through our life together and our life individually, our lives individually, may, may your reign be seen. we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. let's worship together.